please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 885. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Please join with me in prayer. Lord, as your word has been read and I am charged to proclaim it, I ask that Jesus Christ would be lifted up, that, um, that we would um, trust in him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, because where he is lifted up, he, will, he has promised to draw all peoples to himself. And Lord, where he is lifted up, your people are sanctified and encouraged and built up uh, in our uh, most holy faith. So we ask uh, for Jesus to be honored and glorified uh, through your word, we ask in his name. Amen. All right, this is the last sermon in uh, Luke It's 142 sermons uh, by my count. Uh, It makes me exhausted just thinking about it. Um, But not only have we been through uh, the entire Gospel of Luke, we've also read the entire Gospel of Luke in our worship services. Although the Gospel of Matthew and the Book of Acts uh, have more chapters than the Gospel of Luke, Uh, Luke is the uh, longest book in the New Testament. Uh, Like I've told the children in the children's sermon uh, before, uh, you can eat a whole elephant one bite at a time. And so uh, we have been through the Gospel of Luke. Lord willing, we will begin the epistle to the Ephesians on February 12th. Uh, It only has six chapters, and the chapters are significantly shorter than uh, the chapters in Luke. Very much looking forward to this sermon series on Ephesians. I think it will be a great blessing uh, to uh, our congregation. Uh, That being said, let's move forward uh, in our passage. We're going to study this morning the ascension of our Lord, which is... Uh, I believe, an underrated doctrine and often uh, ignored to, um, to, our, to our hurt. So the, the ascension of our Lord um, was basically the visible departure from the earth of Jesus Christ and his triumphal return to heaven. Uh, 
We believe in the ascension of the Lord. We confess it when we use the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we may just uh, pass right by it and, 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 and don't pause to realize what we are confessing. It says, He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So we would do well to know what it means, what the ascension means, what it means for us. Uh, just a word of, of introduction about the ascension uh, in Luke. Uh, Luke wrote uh, the, not only his gospel, but also the book of Acts. And in the first chapter of Acts, we have a longer, more detailed uh, account of Christ's ascension than we are given here at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke. And I think what Luke does is he uses the ascension of the Lord to act as a bridge between the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, because it really is one book with, in two parts. <clears throat> um, one of the things that we learn in Acts is that Jesus spent 40 days between uh, his resurrection and his ascension. Uh, this, is not real, this is not made clear in Luke at all. He simply skipped over those 40 days uh, in Luke. And during that 40 days, uh, Jesus would make appearances and then disappearances suddenly. You know, he would just appear in the room with the apostles, or he would appear on the beach and begin cooking breakfast while the uh, disciples were out um, fishing. And then he would disappear and he would come back. But in his ascension, he ascended slowly and visibly. Uh, as we consider Christ's ascension, please remember that he ascended with his human body. He did not shed his humanity when he re-entered re glory at the Father's right hand. He has never discarded the human nature that he assumed in his in incarnation, and he never will. When we see him in heaven, we will see his nail-scarred hands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 tells us, that at Christ's ascension, he was enthroned as king. And so this is, this is an essential aspect of his, um, of his ascension, that he is enthroned as king. Peter says he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There are so many passages in the scriptures that teach us that he will reign until he brings all things uh, under his feet. Because Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he is, of course, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm 2 tells us that he will rule until all the nations become his possession. And those who refuse to come under his rule will be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. Psalm 110 is a prophecy of Christ's ascension. Verses 5 and 6 speak of his enthronement as king and also 
then as his, his wrath toward those who reject his lordship. Psalm 110, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. When will he do this? Well, on the day of judgment, Christ will pour out the Father's righteous wrath upon all who appear before him without his righteousness. It will be an awful day. All of us in this room will be there. And we'll either be witnessing um, his wrath being poured out, or we will be subjects of his wrath. At all cost, avoid being an object of his wrath. Flee to him today. Trust in him today. Call upon him. He came into our world to save sinners from their sins. He loves sinners so much that he went to the cross. He suffered the Father's wrath in our stead. You can have your sins forgiven before a holy God. You can receive his righteousness. Call upon him today. Do not find yourself on the day of judgment without the Lord Jesus Christ. Being enthroned as king is not just about executing the Father's wrath. He is exercising his kingly authority through the proclamation of the gospel. Look at verse 47. You will remember this from last week. He said that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. As the king of the universe, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he is wielding his authority through the church for the extension of his kingdom. What does that mean for us? It means we need not fear any person or any threat because, because King Jesus has authorized us to proclaim his gospel to the lost. We are his witnesses. The disciples were his witnesses. They were going to, to go out into a hostile culture, into a hostile world. They would suffer persecution. Many of them would die because of their faith. But Jesus is saying, all my authority is being exercised for you to go and preach the gospel. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, you don't need to be afraid of him who can kill the body. But be afraid of him who can send your body to hell. And he told them and reassured them of his love over and over again. When we speak to someone about the gospel, we are not simply having a conversation. We are acting as Christ's ambassadors, or maybe better, his warriors, uh, declaring his eternal gospel. We need not cower before our wicked world that we live in. God is for us. Who can be against us?
Christ's enthronement as king also means that we are exalted with him. We are united to Jesus Christ. And therefore, where he is, we also are there. Our citizenship, uh, Philippians chapter 3 tells us, is in heaven. Why is our citizenship in heaven? Because our Savior is there and we are united to him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, God raised us up. Not in the future tense, but, he, but in the past. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a present reality for all of you who are in Jesus Christ. We, um, our culture looks down their noses at Christians these days. But despite their loathing, we are kings and queens in God's presence, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mentioned Psalm 110 a little earlier, that it's a prophecy of Christ's exaltation. It begins in, um, or his ascension, it begins in verse 1, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Then it continues in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Christ was not only enthroned as king at his ascension, he was also installed as a priest. Hebrews 5, chapter 10. Hebrews 5, verse 10. I knew I had said something that didn't make sense. Hebrews 5, verse 10 says that Jesus became a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's not just a priest. He is the high priest. He is not just the high priest. He is our high priest. And this is good news for us. Christ serves as our high priest at the Father's right hand. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 says that he appeared in the presence of God in our behalf. He is there to represent us to the Father. When we sin against God, or when we forget about what God commands because we are so consumed with what we want, Christ is there at the Father's right hand uh, with those nail-scarred, hands pleading our case saying that we are forgiven because he died for us and rose again for our justification also as our high priest his ascension means that our weak and our pitiful prayers will be heard because as hebrews 7 verse 25 tells us he always lives to make intercession for the saints since he is at the Father's right hand, he is able to present our requests before the throne of grace. Additionally, because he did not shed his humanity when he entered his Father's glory at, the, at, uh, at his Father's right hand, he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We can be sure that we will find mercy and, and find grace to help us in our time of need because Christ suffered and was tempted in every way 
like we like we are. Hebrews chapter four verse sixteen and seven, or chapter four verses fourteen through sixteen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the ascension is very important for us. But at first blush, his ascension might seem to be a bad thing. Uh, In fact, we might be surprised at the reaction of the disciples as he parted from, from this earth and was carried up into heaven. I would expect... As, as we've gotten to know the disciples as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, I would expect them to have a reaction of sadness and fear because Jesus is leaving them. Won't they miss him? Who will protect them against their enemies? Instead of sadness, instead of fear, however, they are rejoicing with great joy. Verse 52, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The disciples have finally figured out who Jesus is. He is God Almighty, God the Son in the flesh. And did you notice in, Psalm, uh, or in verse 52 that they are worshipping him? Worship is reserved for God alone. And so his disciples are properly worshiping Jesus. They now know that since Jesus is the sovereign God, he does not need to be physically present to care for them. He holds their lives, he holds their circumstances in his strong and sovereign hands. But won't they miss him if he's going up to heaven? And they had this close relationship with him for three years? Let me remind you of verse 49 from last week. Verse 49, Jesus said, And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father, uh, the, the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Even though Jesus was going into heaven, he would be present with them. How would he be present with them? By means of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus told his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And what an advantage that they are given. Jesus leaves their spiritual pre- or leaves his physical presence only to send God Almighty, God the Holy Spirit, to take up residence. And where will he take up residence? In their soul. 
John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit has made your heart his home if you belong to Jesus. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, my spirit, in different places. And in Romans uh, chapter 8 and 1 Peter uh, as well, I think chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. In other words, Christ is closer to the disciples after he left uh, this earth and ascended into heaven than when he was with them for that uh, prior three years physically. And the Holy Spirit um, dwells, dwelt in their hearts even as he dwells in our hearts. Sometimes we wonder if God hears our prayers because it seems like such a distance. We're here on, on earth and God is in heaven. Does he really hear our prayers? Or what about the prayers we don't audibly utter? What about those prayers that we don't even know what to pray and are just inaudible groans within ourselves. Well, God is dwelling in your soul. It is impossible for him not to hear your prayers. Plus, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, Christ is at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. Practically speaking, Jesus continues in his human body in heaven. So it's impossible then for him to be present at all places at all times. Yet he tells us in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 that he is always with us even to the end of the age. His bodily presence is away from us, but the Holy Spirit gives Christ omnipresent. Christ is indeed with each one of you by his Spirit. And this is very important. After Christ uh, uh, ascended to heaven, we're now living between the time that Christ ascended and his uh, second coming. This whole age is the age of the Spirit. Christ's ministry now is a spiritual ministry. He is exercising his rule by means of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is absolutely essential for Christ's work to go forward. It is not, of course, our organization or our programs, certainly not our personality, that will give the gospel success here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. We don't need to posture ourselves as friendly to the world's systems. We don't need to give a nod and a wink to the woke culture. Uh, I don't need to wear skinny jeans and preach while sitting up on a bar stool. My wife might like that, but I doubt anybody else would. And I'm not sure she would like it either. Um, what we need and what we must have is the Holy Spirit's empowering. Amen. 
We need to humble ourselves in prayer and rely on his help. Without his help, without, um, without him, our ministry is a zero, is a failure. We won't even get out of the starting blocks. That is a reality. And we will be displeasing to him. But the other side of the coin is that King Jesus is at work in us. And he promises to give his spirit to all who ask him. I'll remind you of Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that good news? He gives himself to us when we ask because Christ loves us so much. And he knows we need the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer that Jesus loves to, pray, to, to answer. And this is a prayer that is so necessary for us to continually pray. So as we conclude this sermon, let's ask him now for his empowering and for his infilling of us as individuals and as uh, us as a congregation that we might serve him in the power of the Holy Spirit, that our words, to quote the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, might not only be um, words only, but uh, words that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh Lord, did you not say in the passage that we have read that if we ask and seek and knock, if we ask for you to give us the Holy Spirit, that you will happily give him to us. Lord, we need him. We are zeros without him. We cannot and will not please you unless he is energizing us, unless we are clothed with his power. Lord, make us fruitful in his graces. Cause the, the fruits of the Spirit to be abundant in our lives. Make us bold in our outreach. Use us to bring glory to King Jesus. Use us to be warriors in his kingdom. Use us to be Christ's light in the very dark and hopeless world in which we live. And Lord, fill us with the Spirit of Christ that our fellowship with you, our Savior, might be sweet and growing. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.